podcast where we scour our vinyl collections to bring you great songs by unknown artists and unknown songs by great artists. I'm Joe. And I'm Ryan. As always, we appreciate you being here and uh, hopefully we can uh, have a little bit of knowledge for you today and do some trivia and we'll have a lot of fun. We're going to start with a little bit of trivia. You know more than I know. I am going to play a few songs. I'm going to do probably six or seven songs. You're going to hear about 20 seconds of each of these songs. <laughs> you need to tell me what the name of the song is okay. and what the name of the artist is. There is no theme other than these songs are being played backwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay. <laughs> so, track one. <laughs> Track Track 8. <laughs> 
that was that was the quiz. Uh, again, there were eight tracks. They were played backwards. You know all of them very well. All I want is artist and song title. That's fantastic. Uh, great quiz. All right, we will uh, play them again one more time at the end of the show, and I can give you my answers. All right, time for my quiz. My quiz is called "That's the Long and Short of It," and you have a simple task. I'm going to give you two songs, and you're going to tell me which one is the longer song, okay? Which or which is the shorter song, okay? Okay. And I'll give you an example. All right. The first one is which song is longer, Funkadelic's "Maggot Brain" or Prince's "Purple Rain"? Maggot Brain. Maggot Brain is longer. It's 10 minutes 18 seconds. All right. Which one is shorter, Beatles' "Her Majesty" or Wires' "Field Day for Sunday"? Her Majesty. Her Majesty is shorter by two seconds. That's minutes. really unfair, by the way. Nope. Two no. seconds? Yeah, okay. you got to Okay. I'm going to do my audio quiz again, and I'm going to now grab different songs. <laughs> okay. Longer. Which one's longer? A Quick One While He's Away by The Who? Or Endless Nameless by Nirvana? A Quick One While He's Away. That's correct. Nine minutes, five seconds. All right, which one's shorter? The Tall Dwarves? Nothing is going to happen, or Tiny Tim's Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Tall Dwarves. Incorrect. Okay. Tiny Tim. Tiny is... I don't know the Tall Dwarves song. I thought the Tiny Tim was about two and, two and a half minutes long. It's less than two minutes. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, okay. Sure. It just feels like it goes on forever. All right. Longer. Iron Butterflies, Inagata De Vida, or Velvet Underground, Sister Ray. Sister Ray. Uh, Sister Ray is 17 minutes, 27 seconds. Mm-hmm. Inagata De Vida... Not the extended live version, just the normal album version. Is Seventeen minutes, five seconds. Okay. Uh, which one's shorter? The Ramones, Blitzkrieg Bop, or Little Richard's Keep a Knock? Shorter, Blitzkrieg shorter. Bop. That's what I will guess. That's correct. Okay. You're doing really good on this one. Ramones, Blitzkrieg Bop is two minutes twelve seconds. It's a full ten seconds shorter than Keep a Knock. The thing about Keep a Knockin' is Little Richard only went through it once, and then they just looped it. So. I could say you were wrong, too. Okay. Which one's longer? Street Hassle by Lou Reed or Ode to Street Hassle by The Spaceman 3? Street Hassle. Yeah, it's a way longer. All right, Street Hassle's almost 11 minutes. The Spaceman 3 song's normal. Three and a half minutes long. Shorter. All Along the Watchtower by Bob Dylan or All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix? Bob Dylan. Much shorter. Much shorter. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix put a lot of guitar flow. Some extra licks. Yeah. <laughs> Several extra ones. Which one's longer? Audubon by Kraftwerk or Shine on You Crazy Diamond by Pink Floyd? Is this the Kraftwerk one, the version that is the full, like, the full version that I think it takes both sides of an album? I can't help you with that question. I'm going to go I'm with sorry. Audubon, the original. That's that the longer, final That's the longer track. Yep. That's the final answer? Yep. That's incorrect. How long is Audubon? Audubon's 22 minutes, 43 seconds. Not 24. Okay, okay. And China on your crazy diamond, if you go 1 through 9, okay. it is 25 minutes, 53 seconds. Okay. Okay. I've got, yeah. can I ask you one? I want to see if you get this. No, it's my quiz. Let me give you one, because I happen to know what the time lengths are on these. Okay. Let's do, what is longer, uh, discrete music? Okay. Or sad-eyed lady of the lowlands? I'm going to say sad-eyed lady. No, Discrete Music, the first track on that is exactly 31 minutes because it was the absolute maximum that Brian Eno could fit onto the side of a record. All right, sorry. I, just, okay. I knew that, and I didn't think you would be doing that one, so go ahead. Yeah, no, that's a great one. That's a great one. All right, last one. 
Which is shorter? Short songs by the Dead Kennedys or hit by Guided by Voices? Short songs. Nope. It's really? Guided by it's Voices. Like, I thought that was like 30 seconds long or something. It is. Oh, okay. 28 okay. seconds. Okay. But hit by Guided by Voices is 23 seconds. Okay. Okay. And yet again, your Achilles Hill. Guided by, by Voices. voices. Yep. A band I really like, but man. Yeah, okay. they, they got a lot of songs. Great, you did, Wait, overall, that was fun. Overall, you did really. I think good. I did okay. okay. Yeah, I kind of just wanted a quick fire. That was a, that was really good. I liked it. I hope everyone else did too. Okay, those are our quizzes. I think now it is time to move on to turntable talk. Everybody is talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind. My turntable talk today is about a guy that I would assume very, very few people, if maybe 1% of the listeners out here, would know the name of. I didn't know the name of this guy until recently. His name is George Peckham. The one thing to know about him is his name is somewhere on a ton of your records. Really? Actually etched into the vinyl. Huh. He's generally considered the single most accomplished record engineer of all time. He started out, he was born in 42. He started out in Liverpool. When he was very young, he moved to Liverpool. Came up at the same time as the Beatles. He was in bands. He played bass for a few bands. One of the times, as the Beatles were kind of getting bigger, his band opened for the Beatles. Before the Beatles went on, right after they, his band had finished up, Paul came up to him, Paul McCartney, uh, came up to him and said that his, his bass wasn't working. He borrowed, so he borrowed George Peckham's bass. Um, he then, after the, after the show, tried to buy it from him, and George said, no way. Um, <laughs> so he, he continued in bands for a while throughout the 60s he had kind of known a lot of people as they were touring through he went to ha- uh, Hamburg he played all, all around like everybody else and he maintained a pretty nice relationship with the Beatles he started getting really interested in record engineering towards the end of the 60s so he started kind of bugging a lot of engineers asking them all kinds of questions annoying them uh, is how he put it he also was still pretty close to the Beatles and he knew that they were starting up a new record label Apple. They started that up because they wanted more control of, over their sound. They would be very, very happy generally with everything that they were doing, and then they would hear the record and it wasn't what they wanted. So they, they started this. They started Apple Records. And, jo- and George Peckham had pestered John so much that they hired him even though he didn't have any experience as a record engineer. Wow. So they, they hired him as a trainee, a record-cutting trainee. So he ended up, what his job was, and ended up being, he got very good very quick, his job ended up being taking the sound, I think it was the digital sound, and then turning that into the grooves on the records. So he'd make the master, which is kind of the opposite of the record you see now, and then they would press it from there. And then he would do all of the cutting, and the Beatles loved all of the work he was doing. He did a lot of their solo records. When George Eric was making All Things Must Pass, he liked the sound that George Peckham got from that acetate or whatever it was um, he liked the sound so much he flew him to the u.s where they were going to do a different cut um, to make sure it was identical which was pretty cool that was kind of unheard of at the time and very showed a lot of respect for him so he was also on the side he had had an arrangement with the beatles where other bands could come in and he would do he would do their cutting too because other people wanted to use him so he was getting a lot of work with led zeppelin he ended up working with black sabbath Uh, one thing that he used to always start doing eventually, or very fairly early on, actually, when he really liked the record, his nickname was Porky. <laughs> and <laughs> he would put in, if he really liked it, he would etch into it a Porky Prime cut. <laughs> and that is on hundreds and hundreds of records out there. 
he got um, he got really big into punk when Apple started to kind of s- slow down and it was clear that they weren't going to continue. Uh, he opened his own record engineering place. So he started doing that and just people were coming in. He was doing a lot of records. He had a real famous etching on a Led Zeppelin. Not only would he do those Porky Prime cut or do some version of Porky if he liked the record. If he didn't like the record, he would actually put, he would etch another engineer's name in it so that people would think <laughs> that that person did it. But he would also put like clever, funny little phrases into things or just weird things into records, which etching into them. So if you go in and look at a lot of your records, if he's done it, you're going to see possibly his name or you're going to see some kind of funny little message from him. One thing that he's really known for that we've talked about before is he did the Monty Python records and he's the one who did that three-sided LP. Ah. The one where it plays one side actually has two sides. That was him. That was a huge accomplishment. Nobody had done anything like that before. So that was that was all him. Explain how that works. How does one side of a record... So it, depending on where you put the needle, it's going to catch a different groove to begin. So each, um, so if you catch a specific one groove, it's going to play this side of the record. And then if you go back and you catch the other groove, it's going to play the grooves in between that, and it'll play that side of the record. So there are three sides on this. It's just amazing what, what he did with that. When punk started, he was all over it. Even though he was older, he loved punk. So if you go through any punk 45s you have, he was all over stiff records. You can see Porky Prime cut, and that's what a lot of punk fans will look for. They'll go in and they'll find 45s, and if they see that, they know that it's probably really good. He had really, really good taste. Uh, so he would put, um, he did a lot of Elvis Costello ones. He did, we talked about Primal Screen on, Scream on another show, and on their 1990 EP, he put Free Sliced Alone onto one side and Free James Brown onto the other. New Order Records and just Factory Records in general, he would always put information or put a little funny tag into all of them. He put a message, like a sweet message to Yoko, to John and Yoko on one of their albums. And he was very close with uh, George Harrison and Patty, and he would put messages on theirs. It was always very, very sweet. Uh, he did one, let's see if I can find the one that he did on, yeah, on Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song 7-inch. This is probably the most famous one he did. He had etched in there, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I do remember hearing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on London Calling, he put in tear down the walls so one word on each side of the double album okay gotcha, gotcha, yep. gotcha. uh and on the dead kennedy's give me convenience or give me death it's uh the skull is the smiling face of the 80s on one side and dolphins make better anarchists than people do on the other side just it was all over the place it was really really great he, he would like make fun of people too he'd like put things put them down on some of them it was it was great Anyway, I know this is going to be a lot shorter than other ones just because there isn't a ton of information about this guy, but he is all over your record collection if you collect similar stuff that we do. Go in and check and look and see if he mastered it or if he was the engineer on it and he liked it, you're going to see his name there. That's crazy. And you and I talked a little bit about this recently, how in this era there's you know the engineer the record producer. Don't, I mean, you can just record music into your computer and you can put it out and it's you know, there's a lot less stages, which means there's a lot less opportunity for experts to kind of put their hands on it or yep. change it or manipulate it or hopefully improve it. And certainly a record engineer, I would think, would fall under one of those categories of somebody that's really important mm-hmm. and um, and you don't just don't think about as much. And I think one, one thing that a lot of people talk about when they're comparing like vinyl to MP3s or CDs, a lot of people will say it sounds better. It, 
it probably doesn't actually sound better, it just sounds better to you, but it brings with it so much other stuff like this, like album art, gatefold, colored vinyl. There's just so much more aesthetically and just for nostalgia, if you're, if you're as old as I am. Just there's so many things that it brings with it. Like you can remember things when you play a song, you can remember smells or events that happened, you know, 30 years ago uh, that I just don't hear or feel when I'm listening to an MP3 or a CD. And I don't know, I mean, maybe that's just me, but it seems to, re I seem to respond differently to that. And things like this really help because I love pulling out the record, looking at, you know, there's a matrix number on there, pretty boring usually, but there's often there's a little etching. Right. Um, sometimes an entire, entire side of a record will be etched. Like I know yeah. like a low, low album that's like that and a few others. It's just awesome. I, I really love when people take so much time like this, like Jack White does all the time. Right. He's great. People people always put, often put him down now, but I think everything he does is amazing, and he's just bringing, he's, he's doing a lot more for records than just about anyone else. Absolutely. Check out your records. Look on the, look in the Dead Wax and look for Porky's Prime Cuts or anything, anything that says Porky or has some kind of weird message, it's probably him doing That's all great. of that. I'm, I'm definitely going to go check some of my records. And all of the factory records, if you have any of those, they all have something like that on there. And all the Apple records, Badfinger, Beatles, they all have that. I'm going to go check that stuff out. Yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Very cool. All right. Well, I think it's time to play uh, four tracks that you should know. What's that? All right. My first track is a song by a artist that you have heard at least one song, and probably at most one song of theirs. But I'm going to go ahead and play it, and I want to see if you can guess who this person is, or specifically what band he runs. is loud and my cries out It's been said before Now it's over I hear the sound of the choir singing It only reminds me of you Because I want you There's nothing I can do Whoa. Sitting in the chamber I hear sounds but there's no
I Want You, and it's off an album he did called Cold Blue Excursion, which is from 72 on Don Records. If the voice sounded familiar, and it may not, because it sounds a little different than his big smash hit with his previous band, he is the leader of a band called Mungo Jerry. Uh, Mungo Jerry was a band, it was not named after him, and they had a big hit with a song called In the Summertime. And so... He kind of, uh, Mungo Jerry kind of exploded as a one-hit wonder with that song. They had other singles and stuff, but they will always be known as the In the Summertime Band. So Ray Dorsett, who was the singer for that, he wanted to, after his success and some of his, he had a little bit of, uh, of influence based on that success, he decided he wanted to kind of move away from the Mungo Jerry good time jug band, blues, blues and jug band kind of, style uh, to go with a more serious type album. And so he uh, had some songs and he went and recorded this, this album called Blue Excursion back with some strings and some brass and a jazz band. And it really varied. There's some songs that are more like gospel. There's some more soulful, more like this too, introspective ballads. And there was all the grand accompaniment and he tried to take it more serious. I think he used a lot of harmonica and kazoo and kind of fun stuff on Mungo Jerry. And he, he wanted to uh, do something that was more him and, and showed him off as a songwriter. Uh, the album is good, not great. That is by far my favorite song. I think it's a very, it's just, it's just a kind of a, a great song. He's got that crazy warble in his voice and, and the strings work real well. It's almost um, like a, a Scott Walker kind of song early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of got that, that kind of romantic longing feeling to it. He wasn't super happy with the record. I think they put it out. He wanted to come back and do some more vocals, but, but you know, they put, a, they put it out. And like I said, I don't think it ever even got put out in America. I think it was only an English LP. 
don't know a ton about it, but uh, Mungo Jerry had a solo album, and that was one of the songs from it. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. That's a great pick. I'd never heard that before. I only knew them from from that hit, so thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. My first song is going to be by the Mekons, and I'm going to go ahead and play it, and then we'll talk about what this song is and where it came from. So here we go. Be a few It's been a bad, bad. 
Okay, that was the Mekons with a Graham Parsons song called Thousand Dollar Wedding. The Mekons were kind of a punk-ish type band formed around 1977 or so. They, from 84, 85 to about 87, they kind of changed their sound quite a bit and experimented more with Graham Parsons style music and Hank Williams style stuff. It was just a lot, uh, a lot more country-ish and English folkish kind of stuff, and even kind of outlaw stuff. It sounded sounded like this song that we just played. There were a lot of those. They did a lot of originals. This one was done in 1986, and it was on their record label. Uh, it was uh, Sin Records. This is off uh, an EP. Really, really good. It's got three other tracks on it. All of those are originals. This is the only cover. Um, I think it's I think it's just a, a great, great song. And again, it's a Graham Parsons one, which clearly was a huge influence on them at this point and was a huge influence on a million other people yeah. way after this. But they hit on it much earlier than most. The Mekons have always been great at kind of like making country sound off kilter. Like mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's, it's not like you can't just... It's definitely got that country vein running through it, but it just, it's never straight country. Right, right. Yes. It's always interesting. Absolutely. I've got my second and final song is by a guy named Joel R.L. Phelps, and I'm going to go ahead and play that, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Here you go. I don't know what I'm doing here. I could be someplace like in Atlanta, drinking wine, wine, wine. I don't know what I'm doing here. I could be someplace else. Like in Kentucky, drinking shine, shine, shine. And those dogs are running. Picking out in Austin and Wayland's hanging out in Mexico. And I'm stuck in Spokane in a motel room, and Perez is making moving picture shows, and it's
I had a dolly part to take. Well, Hill and Bear and Billy Joe, man, they're gambling. And TV's frying crappy all night long. They're down at Tootsie's eating That was Joel R.L. Phelps with a cover of Tom T. Hall's Spoken Motel Blues. Just kind of a song about not wanting to be stuck in a hotel in, a, in far away from your friends who are having fun making movies, making albums while you're stuck writing these songs. Um, and you don't even have your Dolly Parton tape. Where's your Dolly Parton tape? Exactly. This is a single that was taken from Tom T. Hall tribute album in 1995. I've got the seven inch of it. And Joel Phelps is... He's got one of my favorite voices of all time. He was a singer, one of the singers in Silkworm when they started. He left. I'm not sure if it was an acrimonious. I, I don't know how that happened exactly. But he's he's got a powerful voice. He ended up going on after that and working with a band called the Downer Trio. They put out a few albums. And just never really took off. I think he's still making music. I think his dad was an evangelical preacher at a big booming voice. And it's... It, very much like that. And one time I, I went up to Seattle one time in probably 97 or 98, I think, and I saw Joel Phelps open up for Low, and it was he just blew the place away. It was so amazing. Uh, really, really great. I wish there was more music by him around. <laughs> did he, he didn't play that song, did he? He did not play that song. He didn't do any, I don't think he did any cover. He may have done, there's a Clash song that he would do covers from occasionally. He may have done that, but I don't don't think so. I had a lot of amphetamines in my system at the time, <laughs> which is really bad for low, so don't do that. Uh, but but anyway, so there's a lot of things I don't remember, but that voice I remember kind of blew the balls down. You could feel it going through you. He's got such a cool voice. The original Tomty Hall is way faster. It's kind of like a fun time, kind of like late 70s, early 80s kind of fun country song. Yeah, about the same time polished. he did um, I Like Beer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, same, same sort of stuff. This version is way better, I think. I think the so original. Yep. Yeah. Tom T. Hall is an amazing writer. Oh, I but, love Tom T. Hall. But some of the recordings are not really as great as they could have been. Yeah, and, and you know, he, he got kind of slick with his country. 
cosmopolitan, countrypolitan. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic cover. Great song. I think so, too. Yep. I had nothing to do with it, so I think so, too. There you go. All right. And for the last song of the evening, or, or morning, I guess, if you're listening to it in the morning, I'm going to play uh, something completely different. This is a song called Blue Flower by a band called Slap Happy. I'm going to go ahead and uh, let you all listen, and we'll talk about it.
All right. Uh, that was Slap Happy playing Blue Flower off their record, sort of, which was a 1972 release on Polydor uh, in Germany. They are a uh, German, well, they're multinational. They have British and German members, but they're mostly known kind of on the fringes of the Krautrock scene. They're more art pop or experimental pop. They were started by actually an English guy who was an avant-garde musician named Anthony Moore, and he got together with a German guy named Peter Blegvod, I guess. And we had Anthony Moore had his girlfriend at the time, Dagmar Kraus, sing. And they hooked up with this left-wing intellectual film critic named Uwe Nettlebeck, who had good connections with Polydor. And Anthony Moore was... You're just making all of this up. (laughs) Because those names aren't real names. (laughs) Well, you wouldn't know any better. Uwe Nettlebeck. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Uwe, if you're out there. (laughs) The left-wing intellectual film critic. It sounds like I'm making that up, too. Apparently he had good connections to Polydor. And Anthony Moore was getting kind of tired his experimental music not being very successful. He was more frustrated that people weren't listening to it, and I think he wanted to get to a wider audience. And so he said, well, I'm just going to do a pop record with kind of some of those strange experimental sensibilities in there. They um, got together and they recorded recorded this album, sort of, and it is it is really great. It's, it is just a fantastic record uh, end-to-end. Dagmar Krauss is singing. She sings some, and, and Anthony uh, Moore sings some, too. But her singing really shines, I think. She has kind of a, a, the German stoic singing, but it's very sweet, too. So the, the, the kind of... Yeah, uh, she's like Nico on lithium. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, exactly. I couldn't say it better. And so, though the song structures are pretty straight pop songs, there's always something weird in it. There's weird piano or weird instruments, and, and the lyrics are strange. So... Great album, sort of. They would later go on to record two versions of the same album. They were like recorded it for a, a record company and then weren't happy with that record company and left and recorded it for another record company. And so both of them got put out at the same time or around the same time. And one was called Casablanca Moon and the other one was Alknavasek Gnome, which is a anagram of Casablanca Moon. So, and then they would eventually merge into Henry Cow, who would later become the art bears, and mm-hmm. very important in the kraut rock world. With all the experimental kind of gritty kraut rock, it was kind of nice to have kind of a sweet record. Like I said, there was kind of strange things in it, weird saxophone, and weird barroom piano, and strange drumming. But this song in particular, I think it has a very Velvet Underground sense to it. It's got the kind of a single ringing key of piano that Iggy Pop would love to do later, or the Stooges would love to do not later, about the same time. Uh, this song, Blue Flower, was actually covered by Mazzy Starr at one point, too. So That's... Okay, okay. That's actually how I recognized it, because I have that. It's on there. She hangs right there. No, the, the very first I think it's album. First album. Yeah. Yep. I think. Uh, I didn't look that up. Like I said, it's been one of... It was a record I looked for for a long time, and eventually I realized I was probably going to have to get it shipped from Europe, and so I did. And then several months later, an American reissue got put out. That happens way too often. Yeah. But you know what? No regrets. So, I, love, I love that record, and I looked for I was very patient. I looked for it, and I, I was never going to find it. So mm-hmm. another thing about Dagmar Krauss, the singer, she would also later go on to record with Kevin Coyne, who we talked about, both we both really like. So her voice is great. Great song. One of my favorites. I want to say that Faust 
helped play some of the other instruments. The, the crop band Faust mm-hmm. was kind of like their backing band for that. Oh, okay. Sort of. okay. So they wow. have some good uh, crop rock connection. Nice. Good one. Um, and where were they? Where was their base? Do you know what city in um, Hamburg, I think. Okay. Just curious. I, it's wherever Uwe Nettlebeck told him to go. Okay. So apparently wherever he, somebody wait, who doesn't I exist. Have, he, he owned a studio in rural Uwe. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a mine in Middle Earth. It was apparently inventively engineered by Kraut Kuchner. Kurt Kuchner, not Kraut. Kurt Loder? Cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> So, what do we have left, Joe? Okay, we need to go back and listen to the songs for the audio quiz. Right. There are going to be eight songs here. They're all very well-known songs, very well-known artists. You should know everything, I would think. I know, Ryan, you know all of these songs. I picked them for this reason. This is going to be kind of the first, the testing ground for this style. These songs are played in reverse. All right. So, I'm going to go ahead and play through them one more time. Track one. Track two. Track 
of the song, second time through. Tell me what you have. All right. In the spirit of the quiz, I'm going to answer them backwards. Okay. All right. So song number eight, I think, was the Rolling Stones' Satisfaction. Yes. And that song, to me, pretty much sounded exactly the same. Yeah, that was, I think that was far and away the easiest because of that reason specifically. That I, It really does sound the same. Yeah. Backwards and forwards. Yeah. And forwards which is, when you got a great riff like that, I guess. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's universal. All right, track seven, I think was, I'm sure it was Prince. I think it was When You Were Mine. It, it is. Yep. Good. Yep. Correct. All right. Track six, I don't know if it was a guy or a girl. I have I have no, yep. I don't have a guess. It is. That was the hardest one on here. It's Pavements We Dance. Wow. Just a song we both really like a lot. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's that, when I was when I was playing that through and trying to find the best part to do for this quiz, the whole thing was really difficult, but I wanted to throw at least one... Uh, one wrench in here, just so you could <laughs> suffer like I do with your trivia. You threw me, <laughs> threw me a backwards mouth, Miss. If there you go. <laughs> Suckling. Miss backwards mouth. Hey, All right. Oh, I got Some... it. <laughs> Song five. Will Oldham or Bonnie Prince Billy? I see you this. No. Oh, is it Bonnie Prince Billy? It's Palace with New Partner. Dang. Yeah. Dang. I was having trouble. Anyways, I got. I thought you got that one. Okay. I thought I did too, but I was wrong. Uh, track four, I think, was The Mountain Goats' Best Ever Death Metal Band Out of Denton. Yes. All right. Track three, I think, was The Magnetic Field, Papa Was a Rodeo. Yes. Track two, Joy Division, Level Terrace Park. Yep. And track one, which I think, other than Satisfaction, I think this might have been the easiest, David Bowie Sound of Vision. That's it. Right. Yep. You got them. Pretty much nailed all of them. The Will the one and the Pavement one. Not those two, but the you've got you got Will Oldham, clearly. You did a really good job on that one. Next time I do it, and I will be doing this again, it will be a lot harder. That was a great quiz. Great that quiz. was fun. Maybe um, I'll play two songs at the same time backwards by different artists, and you have to separate them. How's that? Would that be wow. fun? Wow. Yeah. I could do it. <laughs> no. I could do anything. All right. All right. That's uh, our show. That's our show. As always, go out, buy records, support record store, support artists, go to shows, do things that will help people who make great music. We're going to be putting on Facebook, I'm going to be putting a lot of information about George Peckham. He wrote kind of online. There's a lot of information he wrote about his own life. There are a lot of images of the etchings that he made. So just those are just online. We'll put pictures up of those as well as all the records and if the you, labels. And everything. If you find one, send us an email or post on our Facebook. Let us know that you found one. I, I'd be interested. I'm going to go and see if I can find yeah, one. They're fun. Get back at home. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.